going to begin there with Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 this morning. Again, that's Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day that he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is it this time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and while they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we bow before you again this morning. And Lord, we, we are singing your praises. We are celebrating your goodness, the ways that you are moving and working in the lives of those around us, for the ways that your spirit is alive and active in us, for the work that you desire us to do, for life and the kingdom that you desire us to participate in. So Father, we do pray that our eyes would be open to your truth, that our ears would be unclogged so that we might hear your voice. And Lord, we pray that you would give us hearts that are soft and malleable, ready to receive that truth, and then to go and live it out to the honor and glory of your name. So now, Lord, over these next few moments, I ask humbly that you would speak through me, or I ask that you'd speak in spite of me, but I pray that regardless, your word would go forth, and that we, your people, would be changed because of it this morning. It is in Christ's name, and it's to his honor and glory we ask all these things. And together, all God's people said, Amen. Well, it's been said that if you're going to be a great leader, you need to take people from where they are and lead them into territory that they've not yet been to. Or to say it another way, the task of a great leader is to get his or her people from where they currently are to where they've not yet been. And as we read through the Gospels, we see Jesus is rather incredible in this regard. He does this in a way that no one else can. He can utter two words, follow me, and people will leave everything and they'll go off and follow him. They'll drop their nets, they'll leave their tax booths, and they will go off and immediately they will follow him. It's incredible. But not only that, he'll take these people who have very little knowledge about the kingdom of God, he'll take these people who have very limited knowledge about the things of God, and over the course of three years, he'll instruct them and teach them and walk with them, and they'll learn those things, and they'll be entirely different people than they were when he first met them. They'll be ready to, to be those people that he uses to advance his kingdom, They'll be some of the catalysts who help give birth to his church as we look at the book of Acts and as we continue next week with Pentecost. It's just incredible. 
But God is able to take these ragtag group of nobodies, these ordinary people just like you and I, and He's able to take them from where they currently are to new, exciting places that they've never been. But then it happens. And the the then that I'm talking about is what we read about this morning. The ascension occurs. Jesus' work on earth is completed. The work that He came to do has been finished. The prophecies that He came to fulfill, He's fulfilled them. And that purpose of redemption for which He's come, to give His life as a ransom for many, to give His life so that others could come to know Him and experience God's grace. That work has been accomplished as He suffered and died on that cross, and He's rose to new life on the third day and invited us into that resurrection life as well. So now as Jesus is standing before his disciples, he's standing before these 11 who he met at tax booths and as they were aboard their boats and as they were fishing, these people that he had said, come and follow me too, these are the people that he's talking to now and he declares that now you are going to be my witnesses. You are going to go and give testimony and share about what I have done, what God has done in you and through you. And he says that they're going to do these things empowered by the Holy Spirit whom they are going to receive in just a short time. They're going to be clothed with power from on high, Jesus says, and they're going to continue his work. But it was then, having declared that his work had been completed, it was then after he had given those parting instructions to his disciples, it was then that it happened. He blesses them and he ascends to the Father. In other words, he completes his work. And he leaves. He leaves to go back to sit at the right hand of God the Father in glory, his rightful place. And that's where Acts chapter 1 picks up, with Luke providing just a little bit more detail about the events surrounding that moment. He writes in verse 4, he says, On one occasion while Jesus was eating with them, the them being his disciples, he gave them this command. He said, Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him, Scripture says. The disciples gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? As we said, Jesus for the last three years has been walking around with these disciples and he's been talking to them and mentoring them and sharing all manner of things about the kingdom of God with them. And now they want to know, since he has been raised from the dead, since he's come back to life, is it now, is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, the disciples, for all they had learned, for as much as they have absorbed, for all the experience that they had during those three years. Remember, just a few short weeks ago, before Jesus suffered and died, they were confused about that. They're like, you can't possibly mean that, Jesus. You can't possibly, as the Messiah and Savior die, you have other work to do. And just as they were confused about that, now they're confused about what He is doing post-resurrection. They want Him to be that Messiah who's going to provide political liberation for His people. They want Him to be that one who sets up God's kingdom here on earth. But instead, Jesus has been telling them He's up to something new. God is up to something different in this world around them. He's bringing newness where once there was death. He's bringing life. Life where there was once no hope. 
but they're clinging to these messianic hopes that they had since they were young. They're desiring that God would do those old things that they had heard He would do. They wanted Him to usher in the political kingdom rather than bring with Him this new kingdom. A kingdom founded in justice and mercy. A kingdom rooted in a new way of life that Jesus espoused. But no, they were stuck in their old ways of being, their old ways of thinking, their old ways of doing. And so Jesus responds in verse 7. He says, It's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by His own authority. But this you need to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be My witnesses. You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. In response to the disciples' confusion, Jesus again sets them straight about what God is up to. He's not ushering in a new political party. He's not ushering in a kingdom that they're expecting. No, God is setting up a new kingdom in hearts and lives. He's making people brand new. He's transforming them from the inside out. God is doing a new thing in them and in those that He desires to send them to. Yes, God is setting things right. But the time or the date for that time when everything will be set right once and for all, it's not up to them to know. No, instead, what matters is what God is doing here. What matters is what God has for them right here, right now in this moment. What matters is they have a part to play in this kingdom that God is ushering in. And their part is this. Clothed with power from on high, empowered by the Spirit of God Himself. They're to go and serve as witnesses. They're to go and testify to who Jesus is, this new life that He's come to bring. The forgiveness of sins that's only found in and through Him. They're to do those things and they're to start out in Jerusalem in the place that they call home. They're to start out with those who are their immediate neighbors who are their friends and their family, the people that they do life with regularly. And then after they've shared the good news there, it's to continue to ripple on out to other areas and aspects of their life. It's to continue to Judea, to those places where they work, where they play, where they grocery shop. And then from there, it's to continue. It's to continue a little bit further out to the Samarias, to the region surrounding them. And then eventually it's going to go into the entire world. Boy, we've come a long way from tax booths. We've come a long way from fishing boats. This work seems impossible for them to do. This task seems too immense for 11 people such as them. But Jesus is clear they are going to be responsible and they're going to have the opportunity to partner with Him in this work that He has been doing. They are going to serve as His ambassadors. They are going to be apostolos. They are going to be sent into the world to share the good news. And at this point, I can begin to imagine maybe what the disciples are thinking and how they're feeling in that moment. I mean, picture it along with me. Jesus has just been raised from the dead. Luke has made that very clear. He's just spent 40 days with His disciples post-resurrection. And now they're told that they're going to continue about His work. 
At first, it doesn't seem too threatening, does it? No, because Jesus is there in bodily form with them. They've walked with him and talked with him for 30 years. Now they've spent 40 days with him. Can you imagine what the next five years are going to be like and all that they can accomplish if they walk through life together? Disciples are probably thinking things are going to return to the way they've been. That Jesus is going to be right there in bodily form helping them to do the work of the kingdom. It sounds like he's going to accompany them on these journeys. But then, then it all changes. It changes in the blink of an eye. Listen to verse 9. Luke says this, And after Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. Jesus, who has just been returned to the disciples, Jesus, who has just spent 40 days with them post-resurrection, Jesus, who they are so grateful to have back with them, has just vanished. And he has literally vanished before their very eyes. In fact, Luke goes out of his way to say that he is hidden from their sight. They can't see him because of the clouds. And then, then it happened, didn't it? Where once they were starting to feel a little confident, where once they were getting excited because Jesus was going to be walking with them and ministering with them again, where once maybe there was hope that they were going to spend years together and there were going to be more healings and miracles and feeding of thousands of people, where once there was hopes for that, now they're feeling what they did as they stood outside the tomb, as they watched him hang upon the cross. They began to feel alone, they were confused. They were confused at the tomb. They were confused at the cross, but maybe they're more confused now. We just got him back. How could this be? And Luke seems to paint this picture that they're dumbstruck. That they just don't know how to react. They don't know how to respond to all that's taken place. Because he says their eyes remain fixed upon the sky. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, the Scripture says. And I'm sure as they were looking up, a jaw or two was also dropping at the same time. I mean, how do you describe what just took place? How do you, how do you tell someone else about that? How do you make sense of that for yourself? He's here, he's gone, he's here, he's gone. They're amazed. They're filled with dread. They're confused. They're standing up and looking at the sky. Verse 11 says, When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you've seen him go into heaven. I'm sure at that moment, again, they couldn't fathom or understand those words. What do you mean he's going to come back? When's he coming back? They're confused. They're bewildered. Jesus' absence is felt as they look towards the heavens. 
these two gentlemen offer words that don't make any sense and seem to add only more confusion. And in that moment, I think the disciples experience what many of us, or maybe even you right now, are experiencing in life. They want to know where God is. They want to know what God is up to. They want to know that if God, they want to know whether God's going to continue this work that He's begun in their lives. Such a void. There's so many questions. What do you do when you're faced with all those questions? This is where I think something significant has happened in the life of the disciples. This is, I think, where we can see that they are being changed and transformed. Because if you go back to the time of the crucifixion and the events post-garden when he was taken into captivity, the disciples panicked. They were a worried and frenzied mess. Some would deny that they even knew him. Others would hide. Others would flee. But the disciples act differently this time. They have questions, but they've also listened to and heard that promise. And so they act differently. They know that the Holy Spirit is going to be sent. They know that the Father is going to send the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, who we spoke about last week. And yes, they don't have all the answers. They're confused and a bit bewildered. But they don't panic. No, instead, they know what they have to do. There are some things that Jesus was clear needed to happen. They needed to find a replacement for Judas. There were some other details and logistics they needed to tend to. And so while they waited, while they waited for the gift of the Holy Spirit, while they waited for the Comforter to come, they doubled down. They did the work that was before them. They found a replacement for Judas. But they didn't stop there. After they had found that replacement for Judas, they, they focused in on the waiting. They focused in on the task that was before them. Scripture says they gather together and they wait for God to keep His promise. They know in whom they have believed it and they're confident that He's going to be faithful. And so they devote themselves to prayer. They talk to God. They wait and listen for God's voice. And they also wait for the Spirit to come. In the uncertainty, they wait. They wait for Jesus' prayer for them to be fulfilled. It's a prayer that He prayed in John chapter 17, and we didn't look at it this morning, but I want to share with you just a small portion of it this morning. And here Jesus is talking to God the Father. He knows that His work is done. He knows that He's going to be leaving them. Listen to what He prays. I have revealed, I have revealed you to those whom you gave gave to me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. In other words, they now have faith where they didn't before. Jesus has revealed himself and they have accepted that revelation. They have accepted him into their lives. The disciples are walking in relationship with Him and Jesus is incredibly grateful and thankful for that. But then He says, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those that You have given Me, for they are Yours. All I have is Yours. And all You have is Mine. And glory has come to Me through them. 
I will remain in the world no longer, but they, they will still be in the world, he says. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I love that. Jesus knows and is known by his disciples. They are in a relationship with one another and he cares deeply for them, but he knows he won't be with them forever in bodily form. And so he commends them to the Father's care. All I have is yours. I won't be here much longer. I'm coming to you. Jesus knows his disciples are going to remain. They're going to be left behind. And so Jesus asked the Father to protect them and to give them power to accomplish the work that he has for them to do. And friends, as we look at the book of Acts, as we're going to see next week, as we celebrate, celebrate Pentecost, this is exactly what God the Father does. He takes this diverse group of people with various talents and abilities from a number of different backgrounds, and he brings them together. For one purpose, to go and to proclaim his name, to be his church, to be about the work of advancing his kingdom. And filled with his spirit, they will go off and they will share the good news to all peoples. Remember what we said at the beginning, the task of a great leader is to get people from where they currently are to where they've not yet been. And Jesus does this as he ascends into heaven, as he gives his Holy Spirit to a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and doctors and nurses and school teachers and bus drivers, as he gives the Spirit to us. Because in giving his Spirit to us and giving his Spirit to the church, God takes people like you and I, people who are ordinary, and he uses us in extraordinary ways. He makes it possible for us to leave our realms of comfort and to engage his, in, in His work in incredible ways in the world. So friends, may we today move beyond where we're comfortable as the Spirit leads. And may we venture out into the Jerusalems, the Judeas, the Samarias, to the very ends of the earth. But may we go with the name of Christ upon our lips, testifying to His goodness, celebrating his work and letting others know of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen and amen.